Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Real-world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 265th episode of the CodeCast Podcast. My name is Terry Fletcher. So today I wanted to give you some headlines in the news. I know last week we talked about the Medicare final rule and some of the physician fee scale uh, summary for 2023, but something's recently come up because we've been waiting to see if the public health emergency will be renewed past January of 2023. And remember, there has to be, or they've said there's going to be a 60-day um, statement about the warning about terminating the PHE. Well, my assumption was this was it. I mean, I actually think it should have ended a year ago. But again, when you have Biden basically saying that on 60 Minutes that the public health emergency is over four months ago, and now they re- renewed it again on October 13th, which goes to January 11th, and then you're thinking, okay, so now we know that's it. Some of the temporary um, services that are on a list during the PHE under the flexibilities will either go to the end of 2023 or go the 151 days due to the uh, Consolidation Appropriations Act. Well, guess what? The Biden administration um, confirmed on November 11th that last uh, Veterans Day last week that a 12th extension of the public health emergency uh, will be extended, which means that'll take us in to April 11th, 2023. So I'm a little hot about this because this is ridiculous out of all the 50 states. And no, there's not 54 states. Like he said, there's only 50. Oh my God. 11 states will have, have just have um, public health emergency orders still in place, but that's 11. So when you have 50 states, what does that mean? That means that you've got one fifth of the country agreeing that this is over. So it's, it's just sad to me because their excuses is that there are uh, hospitals and let's just, you know, it's always hospitals. Basically, they don't know how to uh, scale back all the windfall of money that they're getting. And that's not fair because that's not what the public health emergency means. It means that right now we've got an emergency that needs to have flexibilities in order in order to survive. That's not where we're that's not where we're at. They also mentioned that the extension comes amid uncertainty around public health as winter looms with possible increase in the flu season. Come on, people. This is not the, this is not a public health emergency. And the spending that goes on during the PHE is ridiculous. And so, yes, I'm ranting a little bit today because I can, first of all. But the thing is, is... We have to figure out how to roll back, not to continue operating under the pandemic era policies that led to a complete free for all of telehealth. For any of you that are saying overhaul, it's free for all. And it means anybody can use it and they're absolutely taking liberties with it. They fast tracked approvals of COVID-19 vaccines and treatments. And now we're seeing that Pfizer and Moderna said that they're going to, oh, now take a look at studies about heart problems with patients and especially children who've taken the vaccine. And it's just, if you don't think I'm frustrated today, I'm frustrated. So, and I understand the Medicaid beneficiary issue. So Medicaid uh, kept a bunch of beneficiaries on 3 million to be exact during the public health emergency. And this continues to pay for their insurance, even if they are not um, eligible for it. And so it's just because we're still under the PHE. 
So as of right now, the PHE is good through January 11th. They anticipate it will extend. They've already said, so that would make it through April 11th. And then the after that expires, and I really hope that's the last one, or I'm actually going to write a letter because this is ridiculous. Medicare, then the flexibilities, um, ex- then they transfer to the uh, Appropriations Act, so the CAA for the 151 days after it expires. Now, there is something called Advancing Telehealth Beyond the COVID-19 Act, but that is only been approved by the Senate, has not been approved by the House, and that will not happen right now since we're in the middle of midterms and the elections and all that, and figuring out who's staying, who's going, and that would be to extend telehealth through 2024, but that has not passed. I keep having physicians telling me that, oh no, we have it until 2024. No, you don't, not yet. And you have to be careful because right now the uh, GOA, the um, MedPAC, and OIG, they're on top of the problems with, with telehealth right now and the fact that people are using it for convenience and there's no standard of care for telehealth. There's no uh, limitation on when you should or shouldn't have it. And it's, it's kind of a free-for-all. They finally did a study, and that just came out two weeks ago, that patients that had a telehealth follow-up visit after a hospital stay were more likely to be readmitted into the hospital. So there, there needs to be a time when a patient, and it should be most of the time, the patient comes in to see their provider and that telehealth is another option for well checks, maybe for patients who aren't having any issues, but need to have that, you know, three to six month checkup for mental health patients, for sure, even though I still think they need a at least one in person visit per year. I don't like the fact that they stalled that. And then making sure that, you know, you can't see palpable masses. Um, You can't rely on patients to be their own physician, which is what they're doing on camera. This is what they're doing over the phone. They're basically treating themselves by self-directed care over just a conversation. There's no, there's no full exam. It's just a conversation. Well, what's your blood pressure? That you shouldn't be able to count a blood pressure in an exam that doesn't have an FDA approved blood pressure uh, device. So, and actually the the COVID-19 FAQ say you can't do that. So you have to look at it from the big picture that this is not a good thing anymore. It was a great thing in March of 2020, a great thing all through 2020. It was like, oh my gosh, thank you for giving an opportunity to still engage with our patients during this public health emergency. Then we got the vaccines, 2021, everybody did whatever they could to, you know, scrub their offices, make them as OSHA compliant, clean as possible. Now there's some people who've even had five vaccines, God forbid, and and everybody is pretty protected or out doing their own thing. And we know how to treat it. So as far as an emergency, the the death rate is down and it's down compared to 2020, it's down 82%. So that's just what came out through AHA. And then, so that is not a public health emergency. Um, we have more deaths with cancer right now. And so this is where, and I'm not being flip, I'm, I'm actually just being annoyed, where it's just become of this political financial pawn and it has to stop. That's not who we are as a country. That's not what it's there for. It's taking liberties with legislation that is all it's doing is allowing for spending and allowing for fraud and allowing for overutilization. So, and I just want to, you know, also make it clear. I was actually having an, an email, not argument, but 
heated heated discussion with a a trusted colleague that I have, and and him and I were not agreeing on the um, on on some of the flexibilities. And his his position was, well, they can, so they should. You know, they can do this, and the doctors can do this with the supervision. I'm like, you need to stop. Once you open a door to certain providers, and I'm not saying everybody there is a tendency to take advantage. And I'm seeing it now. I, I have people saying to me, um, and I just had one recently, and I will not, they'll know who it is if they listen to the podcast, basically said, can we charge for um, telehealth, medical nutritional therapy, if we do a cooking class um, over the internet? And I'm like, are you kidding me right now? And I'm sure the person that asked that at, was thinking the same thing going, okay, well, there's a new one. Let's ask, let's ask Terry. You have to reel people in now. You have to f- really explain to them that telehealth, although it has a place in healthcare, is really for patients who are compromised, who need to have remote care because if they come into the office, it could compromise their health. It's not for patients' convenience right now. And people are like, yeah, but telehealth should be blah, blah, blah. Okay. So I actually have something called VIP care with um, what used to be Anthem, but now is my Blue Cross Blue Shield through through my husband's work. And if I want to, if I want to get a telehealth visit through my commercial plan, absolutely, I can get it. And that's great. I think that's fine if I want it that way. I get one a year with no copay or deductible. And what would I use it for? I don't know. If did I have a, a rash I wanted to look at? Um, and do I have, I have every once in a while, I have a sciatica that kicks up and I know what helps that. Don't want to get a refill maybe on a, on a uh, muscle relaxer or something. I'd actually probably go in for that. Um, is there, is there a reason that I would, you know, use it? Yes, there may be a reason, but it shouldn't be every single visit. And that's my point. It seems to be being used for every single visit there. The fact that new patients are allowed to use it and during the public health emergency and the fact, this is a big one, the payment parity makes no sense. The, it, we don't have the same exam opportunity, um, capability, I should say. We don't. It's not a full exam. It is a conversation and that's it. There's no way that, and you can't see a patient get up out of a chair and fall if they have a neurological deficit. Um, you can't see a patient that, again, I, I always make palpable masses because cancer diagnoses are being missed. And so, you know, I, I know that I've kind of gone on a little long here about ranting, oh, like 10 minutes, but I, I'm just frustrated because every time I see this renewed, and again, the 12th extension, we're really going to do that. This is just really disappointing. That's the word, because we should not be doing this right now. Um, when I hear that, you know, AHA Vice President of Quality and Patient Safety, Nancy Foster said, what has not yet happened is fully thinking through how to unwind some of the telehealth flexibilities we currently have. She should have said we currently enjoy. It's like, you know what, you need to figure it out. These the public health emergency increments are 90 days. Every every 90 days, you should think it's going to end. And the fact that you're just getting used to it now is absolutely ridiculous. So the, the telephone calls will definitely end after the 151. But if they're going to anticipate this um, extending to April, then that means after that, we have 151 days or about five months. So then you can consider it going into September. But remember what isn't still there. Some states, because again, only 11 states still have coinciding public health orders in place. That's it. So only a fifth of the country. But 
um, there's certain country or certain states that say you can't, unless you're licensed in that state, um, you can't do virtual care. So you, you can't see a patient that's, you know, right now, if it's snowing in New Jersey and they go down to Florida, you can't see that patient virtually if you're a new, if you're a New Jersey physician, unless you're licensed in Florida. And so that's where, and all the retired physicians that came out of retirement to see patients uh, through telehealth, um, and are you covered now on your liability plan on your malpractice insurance? And there's also a lot of malpractice uh, payers that have taken off the audio only off of coverage. So these are things you really need to know. Okay, so now I'm going to go into a couple of coding questions. And you're like, thank God, she's she's a little nuts today. I'm sure I'll get some cards and letters on this. But you know what, the CodeCast podcast, again, it's been a labor of love for five years. And this is just... It, it's something that I have to feel like I have a voice in, whether you agree with me or not, whether you buy into certain, I know I make some political comments or not, I'm frustrated, but, and you don't have to listen if you don't buy into it. But what I do try to do, and hopefully most of you appreciate this, I'm assuming you do with 450,000 listens at this point and 398,000 subscribers. I think the thing that you have to consider here is what I really try to do is make information accurate, current, and what you need. And hopefully not just with what's happening in the industry, but also with your coding, you know, coding, reporting, compliance. Um, it is the CodeCast after all. And I feel like this was one of the premier podcasts before everybody got into podcasting in the healthcare uh, space. And I, I just hope you appreciate my intent and what the CodeCast is. Okay, so a couple of questions that I've been getting, and I thought these were interesting. So there was a question on orthopedic side, and this is for amniotic fluid injections for ortho for pain management. And I know that a lot of physicians also do PTP injections. Well, remember, these are not FDA approved injections, okay? They've been known to work and there's papers, I know through AAOS on that they, they work, but there's also papers that they're investigational and they're about uh, $750 out of pocket for the patient because most of them are not covered. And the first thing I look for is I start to research, not just, I notice some practices, all they do is research, what's the code I can use? What can I report it with? They don't research, is this approved by the FDA? Is this, um, is there a legal position on this? And so when I heard about amniotic fluid injections for pain, it is allowed for ocular, so I uh, situations, but not for pain as far as payment. There's a national law review piece on this and you can Google it. And it basically says that we're discouraging it right now as far as billing it or charging patients because we don't have approval and it is 100% under uh, investigation. So even though something sounds good, if you don't have um, your your lobbying efforts, so your society telling you to do it, you might not want to do it. Here's another one. So there is on ENM side, um, there is a question and this comes up all the time. I get a lot of, I do a lot of audits on level fives and um, have a couple of clients that they send me all their level fives to audit before they even submit them. So basically we look at them first, we're kind of like their scrubber. And then if we approve them, I should say me, if I approve them, then they, they can go and, and uh, report them. Well, one of them is a urgent care center. 
And so what they do is they'll see patients and unfortunately they're getting a little too primary care, but there have patients that are coming in um, that maybe have upper abdominal pain or, you know, some kind of pain. And they figured out that the patient probably has, is having a gallbladder attack. Okay. This is a younger patient with no risk factors. And because of their insurance, they are not able to do an ultrasound that they do have in the urgent care center. So they decide to send them over to the ER and they're trying to bill a level five because they're sending them to the ER. Okay. First of all, don't do that. Secondly, when you look at your assessment and plan in element in the level four moderate, well, First of all, because this is an undiagnosed new problem, they don't know what it is yet. That is a level four when it comes to problems addressed. They only ran uh, blood work and they did, so they did two labs, which that's minimal on your minimal to low on your data points. So right there, two out of three, you're only at moderate. And then the assessment and plan was to send them to the ER just for an ultrasound to determine what they have, not because they were, you know, high risk as far as having a, uh, a gallbladder is going to burst or anything like that. It wasn't like appendicitis. It was just an insurance question of what the coverage is. And so to me, that was still an, a decision to go to the hospital without risk factors. So straight across the board, that's a level uh, moderate. And trying to explain that was a little tough, but I think they figured it out after I explained it. The biggest thing is you have to make sure that you aren't using the patient's financial class to upcode. So just because the patient can't have something in your office, so you have to send them to the hospital, does not make it a level five or a higher visit. So if it is a financial situation or a coverage policy situation that's only paid for in the hospital setting, that does not change the clinical situation for that patient. And I think that's part of the reason why you probably saw this year, or I should say for 2023, that one of the things that was added to the low medical decision-making consideration uh, was a hospitalization. So I was thinking, how could that be low? And now I can, I can feel that this is maybe where they were going with it. So anyway, just as far as a couple of regulatory coding questions, if you will, um, that's where you have to just be very cautious that you're not upcoding based on the fact that the patient has to go to the hospital. And there's a lot more when it comes to, as I'm weeding through the, uh, the final rule on ENM. I saw something, uh, yesterday and when I actually put it out to some trusted colleagues of mine about the observation and inpatient uh, codes that are now going to be combined, the 99221 to 223, and just figuring out who bills what, especially if you're following that that patient. And I'm actually going to give some uh, tidbits on that uh, in the next CodeCast because it's kind of an involved conversation. So my personal tidbit this week is something that I also put on my Business Collective podcast, which is about becoming an entrepreneur. I try to focus on the healthcare space. So for those of you that are, I'm actually a solopreneur, entrepreneur, so solopreneur, is that what they call them now? Uh, somebody who basically works for herself and if I need people, then I'll subcontract out, but do kind of everything myself. And there's times when you just can't take that break. I'm in the middle of an, a really big audit right now, and it's I'm on day 12 without a day off. And so what can I do to take that mental break? And I basically, I have an adult coloring book. Look it up on Amazon. Got myself some colored pencils. And I know you know I love my football. And when I'm watching my football games, I can take two hours or I sit on my patio because my landscaping is finally done after I got my pool put in. And I just color. I just have to take a break 
from my um, from work. And it's not a full day break. It's just maybe an hour, hour or two. And or I sit at my dining room table because I have a view out to my my backyard for that. And you just it's it's really a cathartic. It's really just a kind of a nice thing to do. So check that out if you don't have time either to get away and see if that's something you want to do. It also kind of makes you feel a little artistic if you draw stick figures and have absolutely no artistic ability at all like myself. So my artistic ability is basically in writing books and writing stories. I have a couple of things that I've been also trying to write. So that's been uh, really helpful just getting all those thoughts down. I'm, I'm hoping to finish my, my one children's book and my one uh, mystery book soon. So find a way to let it out, you know, start journaling, start doing something that gives you that break if you can't actually take a day off. So that that's my personal recommendation. And also, if you're looking for more podcasts, make sure that you check every single thing that I'm on because I think I need an intervention. I have quite a few. So Codecast Podcast, um, I'm uh, on a Talk 10 Tuesday with uh, Sean Weiss on the Compliance Guy Podcast, also on the Monday Roundtable. It's not consistent like this is. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, we try to be every week, but it's usually at least three times a month. Um, also, my Still City Underground podcast, uh, What the Football, that I do for them once a week, and that's during regular season. And then again, my Business Collective podcast for that entrepreneur looking to break away from being an employee. And um, then there's then that's the Business Collective. And so there's just a lot of things out there, you know, check them out and see what you think and give me some feedback. So everyone, happy Tuesday. Thank you for listening to the CodeCast podcast and make it a great day and a great rest of your week. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing, and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter at TerryCoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net. Podcast producer Joe Kuzma, music producer Assassin Music. <laughs>